Well, today I'm really excited because uh, one of my good friends and one of our former staff members, Justin Berenger, is with us this morning, and he's going to share a word with us today. Um, got word he was coming into town just a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, you want to preach? And he's like, of course. So um, I'm really excited to have him. If you may remember, those of you who've joined us just in the past couple of years, there was a time when we were doing online church that Justin sent us a video of a sermon he shared on joy, um, and I remember that sermon well because shared a, a good bit about some struggles he's had with depression and, and how to find joy even in the midst of that and, and what joy meant to him, and I, we always appreciate Justin's honesty and his vulnerability um, and his willingness to be candid about what he goes through in his own life. You know, oftentimes, those of us who get up and preach, people assume we have our lives all together and, and that, you know, some, there's something special about us. I warn you, there's not. <laughs> um, we, are, we are normal people, and we go through a lot. And I've always appreciated Justin's willingness to be vulnerable and, and speak to uh, challenging things, uh, being willing to talk about things that often make us uncomfortable. And he's really inspired and challenged me to do the same. I remember early on in my time here at Embrace, Justin was here. And, and right when I started as the pastor, there was, there was a lot going on and... and uh, Basically, when I started as the pastor, most of the staff ended up moving on to new places and found different jobs, and, and Justin came to me before I began, and he said, John, I just want you to know I'm here, and I'm committed, and I'm not going anywhere, and I'm here to support you in this transition, and, and he did that, and Justin led our Monday night ministry called The Gathering, um, served as our outreach pastor. He started a diaper ministry here in our church as well, um, preached on a regular basis, but most importantly, he just taught us a lot about what it means to develop friendships, and particularly friendships that cross boundaries, friendships with people that often we may not choose to be friends with, and, and how those friendships can truly transform our lives. And, and Justin has been that kind of friend for me. Um, I also say one more thing. I, you know, I, Justin, one thing he, he really challenged me early on in my ministry to do was to be bold um, and to, to speak um, what God has put on my heart. And, and so Justin is, is one of the, those influential people in my life that really challenged me to embrace uh, that kind of role of being a pastor, to, to be willing to speak out uh, for and against things that, that maybe we need to be aware of in our community and what's going on in our world. And so I'm just so grateful for Justin and his friendship and his example to me. And so without further ado, let's give Justin a hand as he comes forward. Wow. To be back at Embrace is, I, I, I can't find words for it, and I, I make my living working with words. Um, it's just so good to be here. I love that this morning I came in and within about two minutes, I'd gotten like 10 or 15 hugs. Um, people, you know, started opening up and telling me all, just about some of, the, some of the struggles they're facing. A few folks told me about some great things going on in their lives. And I'm just reminded, and, and I hope y'all are aware of this. I've been to churches literally all over the world. And there's not any congregation that I know of that is like this one. 
a congregation where we have people with felony convictions, one of whom was one of my child's, my, my children's first babysitter. We've got people who have graduate degrees. We have people who are from different races and languages and backgrounds. People who are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus in word and in deed in this community. I also love that this is a church where folks don't feel shy about shouting out, <laughs> about clapping. Sometimes even when I preached back in the day at the gathering, folks would argue with me right in the middle of the sermon, right? I love it. I mean, what kind of church is like that? And I can tell you there are very, very few. And I am just thrilled. It's, it's so great to be here at the same time that Ryan and Amanda are here. I was actually just with them in Honduras um, about three weeks or a month ago or so. Uh, my family and I went down to visit them. And I want to tell you that video doesn't even begin to show you the kind of work that they're doing. And their work fits in so good with what I'm going to talk about today because they didn't go down with a program they didn't go down to plant a church, to drill water wells. All those things are wonderful things. They went down simply to build relationships with people. And out of those relationships, some of the most devastatingly sad stories I've ever heard, they've been able to be a part of and to help people who are struggling, people who, who are going through things some of us can't even imagine. And they've also gotten to share some incredible, Incredible joys with people, new births, people getting jobs, all kinds of things in a country where poverty and violence are absolutely rampant. So I didn't expect to, to talk about Ryan and Amanda at the beginning of this, but I just couldn't help it because their work is just unbelievable. And so throw lots of money their way is what I'm saying. Um. John said that y'all had been using the lectionary, and so he gave me the lectionary text today. And I looked at it, and I just got really excited because I was like, this is one of those texts that just, like, preaches itself. So, like, you know, some you have to do a lot of digging and figuring out what different words mean and all. And, and this one, it was, like, straightforward. I almost thought about just reading it and going to sit down, but it was a little too short of a a text to do that. So what I want to do first is I just want to read you the text, and then after that I would love it if you would join me in prayer before I have a few things to say with my nicely written pink notes um, that were written this morning. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> so I want to read you this scripture. It's in John 13. 31 through 35, and we're really going to focus in on 34. So in this text, Jesus is talking. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son Himself and glorify Him at once. And then Jesus says to His disciples, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for Me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You see how that's a text that I could have just read and sat down? Love one another as Jesus has loved you. And it's that. It's not a great argument. It's not great programming. It's not, uh, as I saw yesterday when I was driving by the courthouse, somebody standing out there yelling at people in a megaphone, um, you know, about abortion and all of this. It's not any of that. It's loving one another. That's it. If we want the world to know the resurrection of Jesus, if we want to offer the world any evidence that that is indeed true, the best place to do that is not to try to find some some really high quality, uh, clever argument about the empty tomb and the resurrection and all of that. It's to live in the reality of the resurrection of a Jesus who loves us so much that He was willing that He would rather die than live without us. And when we love like that, that is the evidence to the world that Jesus is who He says He is. If you would, please pray with me. God, You are good. And for that, we are thankful. This morning, I'm thankful to be reminded of that love that You have for us. It's easy, as has already been mentioned today, it's easy to look around at so many things in this world. People that I love dearly in Ukraine, I know are standing out there with rifles behind little barriers made of cars and sandbags trying to protect their country from invasion. God, people in this church right here, right now, even this morning I've heard stories of people who are hurting and feeling lonely. And God, my prayer is that Your love would be made known to the world so that it can put an end to violence. It can put an end to poverty. It can put an end to loneliness. I ask all this because You are our friend. Even as the King of kings, You are still the friend of sinners. So it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. A couple things. If you've not heard me preach, you should know. Um, 
keeping a timeline is not really what I'm good at. I've got, I've got my timer going. It's here. Um, and then the other thing you should know is that um, sometimes I, I, I might get into it just a little bit too much. <laughs> Some of these things I can't help but get excited about or get sad about or whatever it might be. So last night, um, I'm staying at a friend of mine's house uh, who, who she is a, she's a professor um, at Asbury Seminary, a professor of ethics there, and we've known each other for a long time. We recently published a book together, and, and we were talking, and we had a great time, and yesterday I got to hang out um, with, with Ryan and Amanda and some other friends, and yet last night I went to bed, and I had a dream and in this dream, what kept happening is I had all these people around me, all these people who were supposed to be my friends, people from all different parts of my life. And what kept happening in the dream is they kept leaving me out. And so I remember the one part of the dream, and this is probably about the point I woke up, but I remember that there was a pie. And I wanted a slice of the pie. But as whoever was cutting the pie cut it, they gave one to everyone except me. And I felt so left out. And I felt so lonely. And I was thankful to wake up in a friend's house and know that that's not actually my reality. But a lot of us, that is our reality where we are lonely, where we do feel left out, where we just simply want somebody to say, hey, you know what? I care about you. I care about you enough that I want to get to know you. I care about you enough. I want to hear your story. And I care about you enough that I want to be around you. And in this text... I think it points us to something that we often forget, and I might have even said this here before. It's one thing to say that Jesus loves us, but love has so many of these different connotations in our society, right? I love my wife, I love ice cream, and I love my dog are three very different statements. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I only love my wife like I love ice cream, we wouldn't have a marriage, <laughs> right? And if I loved ice cream like I love my wife, that would just be plain weird. <laughs> so I want to tell you this morning, and I hope you hear this, Jesus likes you. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants to have you around. You know, we talk about eternity with Jesus. And think about eternity. Sometimes there's some people we can be around where five minutes feels like an eternity, right? But Jesus wants us for eternity, which means that He must like us. He wants us to be with Him. So this command, in some way, he says it's a new command, but part of it is not new. Love one another is a, is, is a very common idea in, in, in uh, the Jewish faith. It's not uncommon in various 
other religious faiths. I mean, it's not uncommon of just people of goodwill to say love one another. But what Jesus changes, the new command is this, as I have loved you. And so this brings us to where we have to ask the question, how has Jesus loved us? And there are a number of answers throughout the Gospel of John. If, if you were to read the Gospel of John, it's often called, or John's writings in general are often referred to in the context of being sort of the love Gospel. You know, the most famous of all Christian verses, you know, everyone knows, for God so loved the world, right? And this uh, discourse, uh, 13 through the end of 16 here in John, um, love comes up over and over and over again. So we have to ask how it is that Jesus loves us. And I want to point out just a couple things. We as I mentioned, there's a ton in John, so I could point out a bunch. But just, just a couple things. In John 1, we're told that Jesus comes to earth and what He does, the God of the universe puts on a tent of human flesh. The word there is something like tabernacle. So in a verb sense, He tabernacled amongst us. If you remember what the tabernacle was, it was a tent where God's presence was. So Jesus loved us enough that He put on a tent of human flesh to go through all of these things that we go through. Jesus had great joys with friends sharing meals. Jesus had, had, I'm sure, laughter. There are some jokes that sometimes we miss in the New Testament because 2,000 years of culture, other side of the world. Jesus had to have laughed with folks. But Jesus also felt despair. Jesus also felt grief. Jesus, when He was in the garden, was so um, anxious and depressed that He sweat blood. That's an actual medical condition. People can get so stressed that the capillaries in their forehead bust and they sweat blood. So Jesus has shown us all throughout just this Gospel alone that He loves us. And the other way that He showed these disciples and He shows us is that He has called us out by name. He said, Justin, I want you. He said, Rachel, I want you. He said, I'm trying to think who else, Miss Sonda, I want you. He said to all of us, I want you, and he called us out by name. So if anything, this gospel and this text really just emphasizes Jesus' heart, and Jesus' heart is love. And because I mentioned that love is one of these words that can mean so many things, I find it helpful to go back and look at um, the Greek language that would have been common at Jesus' time in which most of the New Testament was written. And there's, there's four words, but there's three that are really the common ones. 
that they would use for love. So they had eros. That would be sort of romantic, passionate love. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that one because it's not actually here in the biblical text. But it gives us an idea. We're told in a lot of places about God's passionate love for us. We're called. (laughs) For all the guys in the room, we're a wife. (laughs) Jesus has that passionate love for us. And then there's agape. And we're going to stay here with agape for just a second. Agape is essentially, it's usually kind of explained as unconditional love. But it's also a love that is extended to all people. I don't extend eros to all people. I hope you don't either, especially if you're married. But agape is intended to be love for all people. One of the difficulties with that then, though, is that that love can often be theoretical. Because how do I love the people of Ukraine that I might never meet? How do I love the single parent right here, maybe just up the road in Georgetown, that I know... You know, there's, there's folks like that all over this city and this area that are struggling. How do I love them when I don't know them? When I've never met them? What does it mean to love them? What does it even mean to love people in our own neighborhoods? I can't get to know every single person in my neighborhood, right? I've met where I live now. I've met most of my neighbors and and we share some meals together. And we, we, but if I were to go through my whole neighborhood, you're looking at thousands of people, right? I can't even love all of the people of my neighborhood in a concrete way. But I want to propose two things to you about agape. First comes from a, a famous Christian philosopher, a public intellectual named Cornel West. And Cornel West says that justice is what love looks like in public. So that's one way we can extend love to the people we don't know, is by working towards justice. Where are the injustices in our community? Where is it that people are are not being paid an adequate wage for the work that they do? Working 40 plus hours a week and still not being able to pay the bills is unjust. So we can work towards policies, we can work towards um, uh, local community solutions. There's all kinds of things we can do to work for justice in the world, which is a way of extending that agape in ways that move beyond the theoretical into the practical. And I agree with Cornell West, but I also want to add something to this. That loving the people that are in our circle is a witness to a hurting and lonely world. That we are a community of agape. That we love one another. 
And that is something that the world sees and they say, hey, I can see the way that those folks care about one another. I think I might want to be part of that. Years ago, um, John Epley and I, John's been one of my mentors from, from the time I was about 16, and frankly, had he not been in my life, there is a very good chance that I would be incarcerated or dead. Um, I was making a lot of really poor decisions, and, and, and John stepped in to help me. But I remember we were working at this church together, Green Street Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had um, some youth that were coming, and I was giving a ride to one of the youth one day, and, and he, this particular youth, was, was not a Christian. And I, and I said, you know, you, you haven't decided you know, the, to follow Jesus to make that commitment, but you're here every week. Why do you keep coming back? And his answer was simple and it was profound. I, I love how kids and teenagers can do this. And he just simply said, I know y'all love me. I know y'all love me, so I keep coming back. I don't know. You know, we've, we've, we've gone different ways. I don't know if he has decided to become a Christian, but what a testimony to ask somebody, why do you keep coming back? Not because I think the Bible studies are great. Not because the preaching is wonderful. Not because the youth group has fun activities. But because I know y'all love me. So what Jesus is doing here, Jesus' words are about evangelism. Jesus is saying here that we need to live evangelistically. And the way that we live evangelistically is by loving the people that we already know. Of course, we're given a warning in Matthew that there can be a temptation here because it could become only loving the people that are in our circle. And that's not living evangelistically. But we love the ones we know as a witness to folks to say, hey, we care for one another and you can come and be a part of that. A lot of us, myself included, I don't consider myself to have a gift for evangelism in the way that some people do who just, man, they can just start talking about Jesus to folks and everybody's like, wow, that's awesome, right? I want more of that. But what we can all do is love the people that are in this room well. Love each other well when you go out I guess today, you know, we're eating lunch here, but when you go out to lunch after church and tip your server well, if you can't tip a server, you probably can't afford to go out to eat. Um, so tip your servers well, but, but love one another. And, and when people see that, people get curious. People ask questions. This has been my experience over and over and over again. So if we want to evangelize, if we want to bring people to the kingdom, then we love one another. Because who wants to be a part of a church group or a community where people are apathetic, where people are malicious, where people don't want to be with one another? I've been to some churches like that. And maybe they do show up because there is great preaching or there's a great show, or whatever their reasons are, but that church community is not 
showing that love to one another. Nobody wants to be a part of that, but people want to be a part of a community of care. And so here we move into um, the idea of another Greek word for love, and I wasn't you know, initially going to talk about this, but the text just lent itself to this, and so we're going to talk about friendship. Um, we are to love one another as friends. And so we see just a little bit later in this discourse, after Jesus says, the command that I give you is to love one another as I have loved you, as we're looking at an answer for that question of how is it that Jesus has loved us, Jesus gives his answer really in John 15, just a couple chapters later. He says, there's no greater love that somebody can have than that they would lay down their life for their friends. So if we want to live a love that shows the world the truth of Jesus' resurrection, then we need to be willing to put our lives on the line for our friends. And when we put our lives on the line for our friends in, in whatever way that might be, you know, there's been times where we didn't have a running car and people loaned us a car, you know, and if you've ridden with me, you probably wouldn't want to loan me your car, um, but people did that. There was times, actually, when I worked at Embrace that my family wasn't bringing in enough money that we were waiting in food lines around town in order for us to be able to, to meet our family's needs. And, and some of the worst experiences I've ever had were in those lines. I won't mention the church's name, but there's a church about a mile that way that um, gives out food. And we went in, and here I am at that point. You know, I'd earned a master's degree. I'm articulate. I looked like the people who were on the other side uh, I tried to talk with them, and they were just so cold. And I felt like trash. And I kept thinking, if they're treating me like this, somebody who looks like them, somebody who can you know, use the kind of vocabulary that perhaps they're using, all of these kinds of things, how must that experience be for folks who don't look like them? For folks who maybe English is not their first language. If I'm leaving there feeling like trash, how much must those folks also feel that? So what Jesus does here when he says this, is he actually breaks with Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition did not um, prioritize dying for one's friends as an act of, of this great love. It actually was more common in the Greco-Roman tradition. So you'd find something like from Aristotle more than you would from the Jewish tradition. So he breaks with the tradition here, and he says, if you want to know what love is, look at what friendship is. And friendship is being willing to put your, your life, your stuff, your time, your presence, it's being willing to put all of that on the line so that someone else can know that they are loved. So thus, as again I said, living love as evangelism means that we have to grow our circle of friendship. Evangelism is quite simply this. 
It is friends of Jesus inviting other people to be friends of Jesus and doing that with other friends of Jesus. That's it. That's evangelism is building friendships as we build friendships in this community and those friendships expand out into a world that's lonely and hurting and needs friends. So in order to show the world God's expansive, unbelievable, enduring love, the love that endures forever, then we need to simply love our friends well. Somebody has said before, how can people love a God that they can't see when they're not loved by the church that they can see. I find that terribly compelling. There's no question for any of us now that the world is lonely. Some of us may have never experienced deep loneliness until the last couple years. But I don't know that I've met a person yet who went through COVID and didn't have times of loneliness. Even people who are married and have friends and maybe kids, all of us, I think, have felt that loneliness. And so it's so, 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 uh, because it's so close to us now, because this is something that we can all collectively understand this loneliness, we can know how much of an issue it is. See, here's the thing about being friends in the church, is that we should declare that no one should be alone in their poverty, in their sickness, including mental illness. No one should be alone facing abuse, sadness, hurt. No one should be alone making a big paycheck. (laughs) Because mammon is powerful. And I know that we need one another to help us make sure that we live with that money rightfully. Not that we're stewards of it, that's a whole other sermon but just simply recognizing that that money is not ours. Over and over and over again in the church, church's history, they say things like, if you have two coats, one of them belongs to the poor. So that big paycheck that some folks might be making, think about it like this. What if some of that money is actually stolen from the poor? What if it's actually rightfully theirs in the first place? But we can't be alone in that. I really am going to get to a close here in a second. But I wanted to say just a little bit more about this idea of loneliness. Mother Teresa, in in a variety of ways, um, has talked about this or wrote about this and and so I kind of put an amalgamation together of some of, of some of her thoughts. And basically, she comes down it on this. 
the poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. The poverty, the greatest poverty is loneliness. C.S. Lewis's depiction of hell in his, his, um, his um, famous book that is so famous I can't remember the title of it right now. But his depiction of hell is people that all live a million miles apart from each other. I was like, that seems like a picture of hell. Where we never have the opportunity to interact with other people. Where we feel lonely. Where we're just stuck with our stuff. And something I want to point out about loneliness is that loneliness actually existed before sin. If you'll remember the Genesis story, right? God takes the dirt and creates this person and then says, this person is lonely and needs someone else to be with them. And so then God creates a person, a mate, a friend to help assuage that loneliness. But that loneliness continues to ravage our society today. And even though I am not here at Embrace regularly, I still consider myself to be a part of this family, so I make this declaration on behalf of Embrace. At Embrace, we declare that no one will stand alone, and we declare that no one will be lonely. To love Jesus is to follow His lead. And we're also told in this discourse later, He says that He will not leave us as orphans. So even Jesus is saying, even though I'm going on, I'm not going to let you be alone and be lonely. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, your counselor, your comforter, all of the kinds of things that lonely people need. And if the church is to be anything, it's to be a place where people are working to eradicate loneliness by loving one another as Jesus did. We're supposed to simply recognize the folks that are lonely and hurting. And we're to, like Jesus who took on that tent of flesh, we're to take on a tent of presence in people's lives. To invite them in. To welcome them. To sacrifice on other people's behalf. No one, absolutely no one, from the cutest baby, Ian, that y'all saw up here is certainly one of those, um, to the, the most hardened criminal. From the people that everyone likes to the folks we find most irritating. The poor and even the rich. No one should stand alone if we are loving like Jesus. One more quick word on loneliness. We know what loneliness feels like in our heads. 
But there's been a great deal of research that says that loneliness causes weight gain, insomnia, heart problems, weakened immune system, and a whole variety of other issues. So if you see somebody and maybe you notice that they're a little different, maybe I wouldn't go to them and say, hey, you put on some weight. But if you're noticing things like this, if you're noticing a change in somebody like that, then it's a good idea to get with them and talk to them and just say, how are things going in your life? Is everything okay? Do you need something? Can I be here for you? See, the reality is, and this is not an exaggeration, people are literally... And I don't use literally in that way that people use it now where it doesn't actually mean literally. People are literally dying of loneliness. And that is a travesty when we've got a church that is supposed to make sure that we love like Jesus so that no one feels lonely. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus has this interaction with Peter where these words agape and philia come up. And I've heard that text preached on a number of times and I've preached on it and I'm convinced that all the sermons I heard on it and the sermons that I preached on it prior were wrong. And that's because in that, those sermons they always tried to lift agape up and say that's what it's about. That philia is, is this lesser And in fact, what I think is happening in this text, when Jesus gives Peter this chance to, to rejoin the fold, Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me like you would love any other person? And Peter's response is, no, Jesus, I love you like a friend. You are my friend. And Jesus asked him again, do you love me like you just love everyone else? And Peter said, no, I love you like my friend. And the third time, Peter's hurt. Because he wants Jesus to know, Jesus, you are my friend. And then Jesus says to him, well, if that's the case, then go feed my sheep. And I think what he's saying to him there is, if you're my friend, then go befriend the people that I have invited through the crucifixion and resurrection to be a part of the friendship community of God. Agape is an invitation, but philia is a witness. Agape is what we do to get the ball rolling, but friendship is the place that we find hope and care and love and people to sit with us when we're ugly crying because something terrible has happened in our lives. 